Chapter 25, Wish We Had a Camera. Once we arrived in San Francisco, Fern stopped singing, I saw something, and we stopped asking her to tell us what she had seen. We got off the bus and were greeted by hippies hanging out by the bus stop. It wasn't right to stare at them like they were in an exhibit, but we couldn't help it. We didn't see many hippies in Brooklyn, not where we lived, and there was a whole tribe of them before us. All kinds of mostly white hippies with long, hanging hair. You couldn't miss the guy in the green, red, and white Mexican poncho or the moppy hair covering his face. I would have called it an afro, except on a white guy's head? I wonder if that made a difference. The hippies sat on the grass. One read a small book. Three girls swayed while the poncho man played his guitar. They must have been out protesting and were done for the day. Their signs lay on the grass. Peace, ban the draft, make love, not war. I wish we had a camera. Peace, sweet soul sisters, Poncho Man dipped his head as if pointing to his open guitar case. I didn't know what made me say it, but instead of groovy man or peace, I said, power to the people. Then Vanetta said, free Huey. And Fern said, yeah, free Huey Newton. That was when we met her, the flower girl. We had finally seen one. There were all kinds of songs on the radio about hippie girls with flowers in their hair. She had daisies in her hair, and she drifted over to us, her eyes all dreamy as she danced in her flowing, paint-spattered dress. She took a daisy from her hair and gave it to Fern. Then she had one to give Vanetta one, because Vanetta wasn't about to be overlooked. Peace is power, sweet soul sisters. We wanted to crack up, but save that for later. We took the flowers and dropped two nickels and five pennies into Pancho Man's guitar case. Even though I could have figured out, I asked him where Grant Street was. He pointed east. We gave the hippies the peace sign and the power sign and walked over to Grant Street. We were excited by the sight of metal rails in the street. The cable car was second on my list of activities. Our first activity was sightseeing in Chinatown. You know when you're in Chinatown. The buildings are just like they are in China. That's a temple, I told my sisters. I had seen the pictures in National Geographic magazine and in the encyclopedia. Nothing compared to actually seeing the roofs, like tiled lampshades or hats. Dragons of every color, gold, red, blue, green, pink. Big heads with large fangs, big eyes, monstrous paws. We needed a camera. We shared a plate of dumplings and drank free tea. None of us could keep the dumplings between the chopsticks, so we used forks. After that, we found a place where all they did was make fortune cookies. They let us come in and watch the ladies slip fortunes and slide inside flat yellow cookie dough, then fold the dough over. We bought 10 co fortune cookies for a dollar. Our first fortune said, you will travel far. I said, we already did. Still, I put each pink and white strip of paper in my shoulder bag as souvenirs. Now we could say we had real Chinese fortune cookies in Chinatown. We gawked at all the window offerings, green statues that I learned were carved jade, china dolls, fans, silk and satin dresses with Nehru collars. I almost felt bad about not having more money to spend. I want a kimono, Van Vanetta declared. Me too, a blue one, Fern said. A kimono is Japanese, I said, as if I knew the difference, and we're in Chinatown. It's the same thing, Vanetta said, and I want one. It is not, I told her, and we have exactly $5 for souvenirs, so you're out of luck. While we were arguing about what was Chinese and what was Japanese, I noticed this family of five tall blonde people standing near us. I didn't eyeball them dead on, but I knew they were staring at us. My heart thumped fast. It was happening. That bad thing that happens to kids who went on excursions without their mother? I tried to shush Vanetta, who thought she was winning our disagreement. 
I had to get my sisters away from these stairs. And then, what would I tell the police when they asked about our mother? We were cooked. When I turned around, I found the five people smiling at us. Their faces made long by high cheekbones and long white teeth. They waved. I'd seen white people before. On TV, at school, everywhere. These people didn't look like any white people I had ever seen. Even their skin was paler, their hair more white than yellow. I listened as they spoke to one another, probably about us using flugel, schlugel words. Then, instead of taking pictures of all the Chinese people and the temples and the dragons, they pointed their cameras at us. Bonetta started to movie star pose with one style hand on her behind her head and the other on her slim hip. I grabbed Bonetta and Fern's hands and said, come on. I checked my Timex. It was almost one o'clock. That meant our time in Chinatown was up and we had to go on to our next activity, a ride on the cable car. We dashed over to where the metal rails ran along the street and waited. Sure enough, at one o'clock on the nose, we were on our next activity, a cable car ride from tip top of Chinatown all the way down to Fisherman's Wharf. We climbed aboard and I paid our fare. We stood still because standing would be more fun going down that hill. And what a hill it was. It was a thrilling look down, down, down. The streets rolled like a dancing dragon. Hirihoto didn't know the first thing about a hill. We needed a camera to get this hill. How steep, how long. We rode it all the way down to the wharf, cheering with every clang of the bell. Where were we now? The wharf. We were now near the wharf. There were palm trees, real palm trees with sturdy trunks. Down here, palm trees made sense. They stood as palm trees were supposed to stand, reaching up to the sun, branches spread out wide. Not like a sickly child, too small and slouched over in someone's old, someone's backyard in blank, black Oakland. When we got off, we could see the Golden Gate Bridge perfectly well, but we took turns looking through the telescope right there along the walkway. Gazing out to the bridge, I almost felt, I felt what I almost felt on the airplane. It was the pure excitement of seeing the world. Even the seagulls were seagullier than the ones that flew and squawked around Coney Island. These wide-winged birds seemed bigger and majestic, both close up and far away. Or maybe it was that we could see and smell the ocean and the tar, salt, and wood from the wharf. I breathed in deep to get it all. Too bad there were no way to capture the wharf smell in a jar to take with me. For a minute, I forgot I was with my sisters. Then I remember what Papa had said, and I stopped myself from falling into the whiff of salt air and flying off with the seagulls like some dreamy flower girl. I was happy to be there, and that had to be good enough. There was no need to get glaze-eyed and forgetful. We stopped in a gift shop on the wharf. The man behind the counter set his eyes on us really hard. At first, I thought it was because we were by ourselves, so I whispered to Vanetta and Fern to be extra well-behaved. But then I heard Cecile's last words in my head. His hard stare was for the other reason store clerk's eyes never lit up. We were black kids, and he expected us to be in his gift shop to steal. When he asked us what we wanted, I answered him like I was at the center, repeating after Sister Makumbu or Sister Pat. We are citizens, and we demand respect. I grabbed Fern by the hand and said, let's go. I had that Black Panther stuff in me, and it was pouring out at every turn. I figured it was all right. Papa wouldn't wanted me to spend our money where we weren't treated with respect, but I was sure Big Ma would have wanted us just to say yes, sir, and please, sir, to show him we were just as civilized as everyone else. We walked farther down the wharf and found an old lady with a wooden cart to buy our souvenirs from. She carried mostly postcards, silver spoons, thimbles, and tiny drinking glasses that said, Welcome to San Francisco. Her cart wasn't as nice as the gift shop, but she was toothless and happy to get our nickels and dimes. 
Since we didn't have a camera, I thought buying 10 postcards for 50 cents would be the next best thing. I told my sister to each pick out three postcards, one to keep as a reminder of our San Francisco excursion, one to mail to Big pa, to Papa and Big Ma, and one to send to Uncle Darnell in Vietnam. I figured out later what we'd do with a leftover postcard. At least we now finally had something to show for all our for flying all the way to California. We took the cable car to the bus stop and took the East Bay bus back to Oakland. We talked and talked about all the things we had seen and the hippies and the tall blonde white people and the red and gold dragons and the steep hills and the cable car and the seagulls and the dumplings and everything. Wouldn't Cecile be surprised when we told her where we went? Then I felt bad because we didn't get her anything from the souvenir cart. I hadn't thought of her at all, and guilt began to have, have its way with me. I told my sisters, we're selfish. We didn't buy anything for Cecile. Before we got too quiet, stewing in our selfishness, Vanetta said she wouldn't want anything anyways. Good old Vanetta. Fern and I agreed with her. Surely wouldn't. In a way, I was glad to be back in Black Oakland. The sun was still shining. As much as I loved our adventure, I was always on the lookout in between just looking here, just looking. Here, I knew where everything was, the center, the park, the library, the city pool, Safeway, and mean Lady Mings. No one stared unless they were staring because they didn't like your shoes or your hairstyle, not because you were black or they thought you were stealing. As much as we needed to go off and have our California adventure, it was nice to be back. Even if it wasn't our real home, I still carried my shoulder bag Brooklyn style, but it was now lighter and I wasn't worried. We stopped inside Mean Lady Mings and gave her all the change we had left except for $2 bills. What can we get with this? Mean Lady Ming yelled something mean back to the kitchen, and in 10 minutes we had a brown bag smelling of fried rice and chicken wings. I figured one day of takeout food wouldn't hurt anything, but honestly, I was too tired and happy to cook. I was anxious to tell Cecile all about our vacation day. I wanted to show off how well I had planned everything down to the minute that I knew what to do, and I wanted to see if she cared. We were a block away from the green stucco house chatting and laughing. Then we stopped walking, all three of us. There were three police cars parked outside of Cecile's house, one in the driveway and two along the curb. Policemen lined the walk. Lights flashed on top of their cars into the street. Red, white, and blue lights everywhere. We inched up. The happiness knocked out of us. Cecile and two black panthers, hands behind their backs, handcuffed, being led out of the house and down the walkway. I could hardly breathe. Chapter 26, The Clark Sisters. We were only a few houses away when Vanetta said, Hey! I could feel Fern wanting to leap out, ready to call out, but I pulled her back and shushed them both. What about their rights? Vanetta said. Yeah, we know about rights, Fern said. Just shh, I said. My heart was pounding. They're panthers. They're grown, I said, although I didn't think Cecile was truly a panther. They know their rights, but I told Vanetta to be quiet. We were now coming upon the house and all the patrol car lights flashing. Cecile was almost as tall as the policeman who walked her to the flashing patrol car. He bent slightly to tell her something. She said loudly, kids, I don't have no kids. They belong to the Clarks down the street. She wouldn't even look at us. We were now closer where the policeman could see her with us, could really see us. With my shoulders, arms, and legs exactly like hers, Vanetta's, I don't care eyes exactly like hers, and Fern, a smaller version of Vanetta and me, I said, she's not our mother. I'm Delphine Clark. I'm Vanetta Clark, I'm Fern Clark, and we live down the street with Pa and Big Ma. Yeah, down the street in a blue stucco house. Not with this lady, I said. Not with her. Surely don't. They had already pushed the seal down into the back seat of a car. 
I said to my sisters without looking at Cecile, come on. We walked past our mother, walked with our bag of fried rice and chicken wings as far as we could without looking back, my heart still pounding and the smell of fried food making me sick. Why had the police arrested Cecile? She wrote, send us back to Africa poems and movable type poems. She didn't write off the pig poems and kill Whitney poems. That is, if writing poems were a crime. It was just as Sister Macumba and Crazy Calvin were trying to teach us. In Oakland, they arrested you for being something, saying something. If you were a freedom fighter, sooner or later, you would be arrested. Fern asked, why'd she say she had no kids? She had to, I said. Why? They would have taken us away, split us up, and put us in juvie or something. Fern said, I don't want to go to juvie. Vanetta said, she sure said it really easy. Kids, I don't have no kids. It was like she said, cooties. I don't have no cooties. I reminded her, and we said we were the Clarks really quick, real easy. I was following you, Vanetta said. Me too, Fern said. Well, we had to say that. Did you want them to send us to juvenile hall or call Pa and Big Ma and worry them to death? We'd have to wait in juvie hall till Pa or Big Ma came from New York to get us. You wouldn't like juvie hall. It's just like jail. By the time we turned around and started back, the police cars had driven off with Cecile and the two Black Panthers. I let us in. I couldn't tell from the living room what had happened between Cecile, the police, and the two Black Panthers. The door had not been kicked in like it had been at Harry Hodo's house. Cecile didn't have much in her house to begin with. Then I pushed open the door to the kitchen. Out of habit, Vernetta and, Vanetta and Fern stayed in the living room until they heard me gasp. They followed quickly behind me and timidly peered in. Black and red ink was smeared across the floor. Torn and scuffed up white paper wings covered the floors. Drawers had been ripped out of cabinets. Large and tiny blocks of metal letters had flown everywhere. Blocks of metal E's, S's, A's, and T's. Paper, ink everywhere. The printing machine toppled over. Rollers knocked out. Legs from my second-hand stool cracked and split off from the wooden seat. All we could do was take it in. Vanetta and Fern were seeing the inside of the kitchen, Cecile's workplace, for the first time. I was imagining what had happened. How Cecile didn't want them in her house in her workplace, where she only allowed me, and only at a distance, that the police might have touched her papers or picked up her letters with the clumsy cop hands. Cecile must might have gone crazy like I knew she could have, instead of saying, I am a citizen and I have rights. She and the Black Panthers might have demanded to see the policeman's search warrant. She might have reached out to protect her poems. The broken stool told me more than I wanted to know. I found three forks, two on the floor and one in the sink. I washed them along with three plates and we went back out to the living room. Vanetta spread Cecile's tablecloth, and we sat down to eat. I said the blessing, asking God to protect Cecile while she was under arrest, and then we ate. Mean Lady Ming had thrown in two extra chicken wings, and that was good because we were hungry. Hungry, shook up, and tired. We have to clean up Cecile's kitchen before she comes home. Why, Vanetta asked. We didn't ask it. We didn't mess it up. We surely didn't, Fern said. We're cleaning the kitchen just because. Because, they said together, because it should look right when Cecile comes home tomorrow. I expected a lot of lip from Vanetta with Fern on her side. I expected us to go back and forth, them saying, oh, no, we're not. Well, I said, oh, yes, we are. Instead, Vanetta asked, what if she doesn't come home tomorrow? What if they keep her locked up like Brother Woods? Yeah, Fern said, they could keep her up and never let her go. They were right. The police could keep Cecile for days, even longer. My sisters waited for my answer, but for the first time, I had no straw to spend. I could only clear away the food, plates, and forks. Chapter 27. I Birthed a Nation. 
I didn't care what Big Ma said about scrubbing like a gal from a one-cow town near Prattville, Alabama. Only turpentine could wipe away the black and red ink that had seeped into the linoleum floor tiles. I wiped up all the ink I could before we went to bed that night. Everything else, the paper, the metal letters, the mess the police made, would have to wait until we woke up. The day had just been too long. When I pushed the kitchen door open in the morning, the room didn't look any better. Streams of sunlight shot through Cecile's cheap curtains and pointed out, Delphine, you got a whole lot of work to do. A lot, girl. I was set to do it. Pick up, put away, clean, and mop. Everything. But I was still tired, which didn't make sense to me. I had slept even longer than usual, yet all I could do was sigh heavily when I saw the inside of Cecile's kitchen. Everything that made me tall, able, and ready to do what had to be done made me sigh. I picked up the broken stool, the seat, legs, and scattered wood chips, then brought the pieces out to the trash can. There was nothing I could do about the printing machine. It was too heavy. I used all my strength to sit it upright on the floor. I wiped the rollers and laid them on top of the machine. Then I called Vanetta and Fern out of bed and pulled, the, pulled them to work helping me. Without a squawk, Vanetta gathered up all of the paper, and there was a heavy snowfall of paper. She made different piles. The scuffed and dirty papers went into one pile. The rally flyers went into another. The sheets of poetry with Cecile's poet named Nazilla printed on the bottom went in another. Vanetta spent most of her time separating out the different poems, and in between, she read them. I had Fern hunt around the floor for metal letters and put them on the table where the printing machine once sat. I never realized how many metal letters Cecile had in the drawers and kitchen cabinets. She had boxes and boxes of them, large and small, capitals and lowercase letters, different sizes and types of T's, some more boxy, some more curved, some slanted, but not like Harry Hodo's eyes, slanted like the leaning flower stem on a sunny day. Some O's, Q's, and C's long and narrow, others round and squat, other sizes, all types, all over. Was this movable type like her poem? Each letter free to be flung to all four corners. Then Fern found two of Cecile's special letters, the one she used for her poetry name, the N and the Z. I found the I, L, and A. I polished those with a dish towel. These were a special type, tall and curved, hooks on the ends, the Z coiled back to strike like a snake. In all of her collection, these were the only letters of this kind. I wouldn't be surprised if she'd thrown out the other 21 letters or if these were the only ones she had bought just so that her name could be spelled out with these letters. I mopped the floor once the paper, letters, and blocks and mess had been cleared away. We brought all of the letters and boxes into the living room and spread out the tablecloth. We spent the rest of the afternoon sorting through Cecile's letters. It was like a game, finding the right letters, the right type, the right size. I put the Nazilla letters in a box by themselves. We didn't know if that was the right way, but at least it was a way. Vanetta took out one of Cecile's poems and read it to us. I think it's about us, Vanetta said. Look at the title. I birthed a nation. You might be right, I said. Surely might be. Vanetta said we should do this poem. She read it again. It was a good poem for reciting out loud. The same way We Real Cool was a good poem for reciting. And then we joined her, each of us taking a line one after the other. Then we chose our own stanza but recited the last one together. We decided Cecile's poem was in a way like dry your eyes. We decided that it was about Mother Africa losing her children like Cecile had lost us. I didn't remind my sisters that Cecile had left us. There was a knock at the door and we froze. We remembered we were in Cecile's green stucco house where the Black Panthers had come and the police had come and Cecile had been arrested and we were supposed to be the Clark sisters down the street, not Cecile's daughters reciting her poems in her house. We became like spies. 
I mouthed, be quiet, and hoped whoever was at the door would go away. They knocked again. I put my finger to my lips. Then Vanetta popped up her head and looked through the curtain. It's Harry Hodo, she cried, with an oriental lady. I didn't know what to be, mad at Vanetta for being her Harry Hodo crazy self, relieved that it was Harry Hodo, nervous about the lady. I cracked the door open. Harry Hodo said loudly, open up, Delphine. It's me and my mom. His mother? I looked at my sisters, and my sisters looked at me. Vanetta flapped her arms wildly, wanting me to open the door, but I didn't want to. I But I did, anyway. Harry Hoda's mother was holding a pan with tinfoil over it. Then I felt rude and stupid. Hello, I said, you can come in, but my mother is at home. I had never said that to anyone before. My mother, in a real way. Vanetta and Fern were all smiles. I closed the door quickly after they stepped inside. I know your mother is at home, Delphine, Harry, Hodo, Harry Hodo's mother said. I know. She'll be home soon, maybe tomorrow. The truth was, I didn't know anything about Cecile and why they had taken her or how long she would gone. Look, my mom made this food and I'm hungry. Let's eat. To that, Mrs. Woods gave Harry Hodo a slap against the head and said something to him in Jap Japanese. He said, Mom, I'm hungry. I was embarrassed that we didn't have table or chairs. Certainly didn't want to go around the center tomorrow. And I certainly didn't want that going around the center tomorrow. We had been laughed at enough for once enough for one summer, but Harry Hodo's mother didn't blink once when I said, we always eat on the floor. She put the tins on the floor while I got the plates, forks, and the biggest serving spoon I could find. Vanetta and Fern just giggled and kept asking Harry Hodo to say something in Japanese. He rolled his eyes. We sat down and ate fried pork chops, rice, and string beans. I wanted to eat nicely like Mrs. Woods ate, but I ate hungrily like Cecile. Harry Hodo ate hungrily also. He scooped more rice and string beans onto his plate, and seeing that I was nearly done, he scooped more rice and string beans onto mine. I couldn't look up at him. I just ate. Mrs. Woods said, We know the same things. We have to stick together. <laughs>